Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I am your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. everyone, Jean Ginsburg here, and welcome to another episode of Listen by Jean Ginsburg. And I'm very excited to have our special guest today, Ian Robinson. How's it going? Hey, doing well. How are you? Awesome. Yeah, Good. I am uh, very excited that you're here and would love to jump in to the first question. Typically, first question is kind of getting sure. the lay of the land. Tell us about your background. Cool. Yeah. So I um, have a computer science degree. My background's very firmly in uh, software engineering, though I did get my degree uh, from a liberal arts college and I uh, really enjoyed philosophy and sociology probably more than, uh, more than I enjoyed the actual programming classes. I'm a bit of a reluctant uh, software engineer, I'd say. But um, from there, I did get um, uh, programming gigs out of school and uh, had exposure to kind of enterprise software development, uh, being in a digital marketing company as well on the technology side uh, and working for a product team. And then uh, somehow, some way, the company that I then started uh, is now turning 10. Uh, so I've been at this for a little while. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Well, uh, that's that's interesting that you said that because our, our company is turning 10 also in March of next year. So we're about the same, oh, cool. so at the yeah. same age. Um, yeah. So what is the company? So Enliven is the company I founded 10 years ago. And um, we're a digital product team, right? We're uh, really focused on custom software. Uh, that's our world. Uh, so and the rest of the world's really focused on software as a service. You know, we're, we're not that. <laughs> um, but uh, we kind of answer, I think, some, some um, questions and try to tackle some problems that uh, the SaaS world uh, struggles to. So we're, um, let's see, we're focused on the probably the best kind of uh, area that we've found over the years, having kind of stumbled through a lot of different industries. Uh, and um, disciplines, you know, teams, marketing teams for operations, project management, um, sales sometimes all over the place. Our favorite is kind of on the, what at first seems like the more boring side, uh, which is the operations, project management, service delivery. Um, it tends to be very data-driven and uh, complicated. Right. And uh, hard to for a lot of larger companies and medium sized companies, especially hard to buy off the shelf. Mm -hmm. yeah. So so instead of buying like a Trello or an Asana, you provide a more custom solution. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. why would some like what are the typical issues that you see 
with buying a uh, an off-the-shelf solution like a Trello or an Asana or a Basecamp versus what, what you provide and what are the challenges that the businesses are having? Sure. I think it's a, it's a different animal in that um, whenever you are looking at custom po project management, it's very data-driven in that, let's just say, you know, we've worked in healthcare, um, construction, accounting, and in manufacturing world too, uh, and in nonprofits. And in all of those worlds, um, you know, the construction world, they are, we're tracking detailed data about the materials on the construction site. So right. it's very, very connected. Uh, in the healthcare world, we're looking at pharmacy prescription data and auditing it for regulatory compliance. So when you look at things that are off the shelf um, that are, or a little bit more kind of generic uh, software as a service solutions, there that the connection isn't there, right? There are two different layers. So, um, you know, our favorite thing to do is build in the project management features and the workflows, you know, to to fit just right uh, that are kind of intimately familiar with all of that data. Gotcha. Yeah. So the data piece is something that probably not as I guess, prevalent, right, for these off-the-shelf solutions. So you're trying to integrate that data along with the project management piece, right? Yeah, and so the the issues that companies typically have are, you know, we what with whatever we're using today, we are experiencing significant pain in, you know, we can't answer certain questions that we need to answer. Right. Adoption isn't very good across the different um, uh, team members or they're making mistakes and there's just features that are missing. So we're, we're really trying to bring all of the tools, um, reports, the data, the workflow, the validation, you know, all of that stuff into one place um, and really have it kind of work as an extension of that company's worldview, you know, and they have a unique uh, point of view and values and they're trying to do something in the world and that stuff should really flow through in their operations as well right and is that the typical project that you've been working on is um project yeah. management data integration yeah there's a lot of um tools in there tool uh, to <laughs> tools in there as well um which you know really isn't um super different it's just i kind of think of platforms as one big category where it's kind of everything all together and there's some tools in there and then there's other um pieces of software that are a little bit more out on their own right so it's it's just you know a smaller team or a smaller area of the business just needs this functionality um and you know very special circumstances in their in their environment um Right, and yeah. you mentioned uh, different industries, construction, healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, and the specific sizes. Is it a specific, you know, size of a company where you're experiencing these pains? So um, it it really it's it ranges. I mean, I think that our sweet spot is going to be um, those kind of what I still think of as very large companies, but the the mid sized companies of um, let's say. 100 million in revenue or hundreds of employees. Uh, uh -huh. There's different ways to track it. Uh, there's also, though, we've, um, that's not always the case, right? So we've worked with 
<laughs> really large organizations uh, that are um, some of the biggest companies uh, in that kind of class. But we've also worked with smaller nonprofit teams uh, and done some of our favorite and best work there as well. Uh, so it's it really it really um, depends on the you know I think that the more an organization, regardless of size, has their own kind of expert worldview, the less other people's solutions are going to work for them. Right. And if they take it, take themselves seriously, and they want to take this out over a long period of time, then they want to solve the problem right. Um, and that's, that's where we try to focus. Right. Uh, so you mentioned that you have a d degree in, um, in computer science. But what was the catalyst to becoming an entrepreneur and starting this thing? And was it, did you evolve over time? And, and maybe you can share a little bit about that background. Yeah. So um, you might guess by the name of the company uh, that our, you know, our mission is really to make digital products that um, make people's lives more enjoyable, right? Which, you know, and we're going into businesses um, trying to liven things up. Uh, and we're doing that. I mean, it's small stuff. I'm not going to say we're changing the world in, in these large, dramatic ways, uh, but kind of, you know, showing up inside of an organization and, you know, earlier in my career um, and just seeing all of the unnecessary complexity um, and that people are kind of really excited that, oh, we're, we can do anything with software. So, like, let's go crazy, right? And software is complicated. It's hard to keep track of um, all the moving pieces. So there's a lot of risk in it. And, you know, I, I feel like um, through that journey of my own, what became clear to me was, and maybe it's just hubris, but I was like, I think we could do a better job of um, really living out our values in a day-to-day -day way. Um, and a year-to-year -year way uh, with our clients, and that that end result is going to be less complexity in the world, uh, less unnecessary complexity at the very least. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's very similar. I had the same exact thought when I was starting my company. I worked at a uh, digital marketing agency before I started my digital marketing agency, and I had the exact <laughs> same thought. I was like, you know, I am working at this agency, but I think I can do a much better job. Yeah. So it was, that's exactly, that was the catalyst for me too. I was like, hey, you know, there's just a lot of <laughs> politics and issues uh, with this organization. And so I was like, I think I can do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, uh, you know, once you became a business owner and you realized there's a bunch of uh, other invisible overhead that the, the company you were working for was kind of hiding, how did that, uh, how did you adjust? <laughs> um, actually, for me, I expected the additional like overhead. Um, I think it was more about just the culture of the organization. I think for sure. me, one of the other things, sure. like I expected there would be challenges, of course, and I expected there would be additional overhead head and there would be you know things that maybe I didn't see of course as I was you know was in a bit you know was working for a business back-end things that I now have to take care of like you know mm -hmm. finance and, and, <laughs> and bookkeeping and all of that you know yep. jazz um but I think for me when I like because of the culture of the organization I was working at before I started my company was like 
I think to me, as like, I vowed that like, I would not have a, like I would create a culture that I thought was much more um, open, was much more collaborative, was like less political. And so I think sure. for me, that was like the other catalyst of starting my own company was like, I wanted to create like a specific culture that I didn't find that I had in a, like a lot of the organizations that I worked with in the past. And I know that's a lot of the reasons why we all become entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we want to create that, <laughs> that, uh, that culture. Yeah. Um, and going back to the software industry. So what would you say is the biggest challenge now? Is it, is it hiring people? <laughs> skill set <laughs> development, skill set? I think hiring is, um, is kind of insane right now. Um, there's just such a demand and, um, it, it, again, it's something where it's easy to, um, it's, it's easy to overcomplicate it too. And it's hard to, it's just hard to find good people, uh, that fit into a culture and also have those technical skills and you can afford, right. You know, a lot of the peer groups I'm in, everybody, every business owner has a, a lot of heartache about how much salaries are changing over the last uh, couple of years. But um, but I think maybe it, uh, hopefully that stuff settles out a little bit. Um, there's lots of good education coming on and more and more people getting involved in our industry every right. day. So I think that that's a little bit, hopefully a little bit temporary and things can level out there. I, I do think that right now we're at kind of an age or, um, in the industry, the software industry, where there's a lot of legacy software out there. And there's a lot of, so on one hand, you have a lot of legacy software uh, that people developed over time and they rely on, but really in some ways it ends up people are working for the software and the software is not working for them. You know, right. I, that's, that's a feeling and um, it's real. But uh, on the other end of the spectrum, people are like, well, we, we wanna avoid that. So we'll rent our software um, from software as a service providers. And then they rent another one and another one and another one and another one. Uh, so um, in both of those scenarios though, it can again, be really difficult um, to you find yourself adapting yourself and your organization and asking your teams to kind of do things in a more complicated fashion just because you have so many different moving pieces and none of those you know the legacy model um like kind of the the worldview of that legacy software hasn't kept up and then you've adopted all of these worldviews and models from software as a service companies that may not jive very well. So then that enters, you know, systems integration and uh, just maybe software fatigue. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's, that's the landscape right now. And um, it's, it's a little daunting. <laughs> I, th I think, especially once companies get up to a certain size, uh, it can be fairly overwhelming to have to deal with all of that. Right, because like legacy, anything legacy, and like processes, software, code, right? That that can all really bog things down, and then um, that just makes for a much yeah bigger layers of complexity that you're that you're trying to avoid, right? Like the whole idea of creating the software instance that you avoid, or like that you yeah. solve the problem, right? But then you're creating a, another problem. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you know it's the hallmark of uh, larger companies as they grow. They have to develop new groups, teams, divisions to just kind of maintain itself, and um, that can go be pretty extreme. Uh, where we we have no you know teams of teams of people just managing vendors and uh, managing software as a service stuff and and their legacy apps and all the integrations between them. So yeah, it's a uh, crazy out there. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, so the last couple of years have also have been very different for all different kinds of businesses. We grew during COVID, but of mm. course not everyone did. So what was your experience like? And I would imagine that you guys probably had a pretty good couple of years, but can't, you know, can't uh, guess. Yeah, our world got a little bit smaller during COVID, okay. honestly. Um, and I think that's just that's just probably our unique circumstances, but we were in person uh, in a nice office and we went remote, though we, we had flexibility and we did work remote some. Um, we liked being in the office for the most part with each other, uh, though we've had remote team members as well over the years. Um, so that, that was a little bit of a hit to the culture um, mm -hmm. for sure. And maybe a little bit of our spirit <laughs> we're all dealing with, uh, right. you know, all of the craziness in the world. But, um, you know, I think also just all the, the in-person stuff disappearing, I realized how much I relied on that because I um, am not very good at maintaining an online presence. Okay. <laughs> That's something that uh, is still largely aspirational for me. Okay. Um, and that has, um, that is, I think, um, been a little bit more challenging during the last couple of years for my company as well, just because I'm the one who's supposed to be leading all of that stuff too. Right. Um, but that said, um, you know we're uh, we're able to keep on rocking, and uh, we have a lot of repeat business. So that uh, that I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> that's, that's great to hear. That is good. That is good news. Um, very yeah everyone's experience was, was very different you know amazon grew during that time of course oh, restaurants, absolutely. Not, not so much so it's like restaurants it's not much, so much yeah very much a, um, a, a mismatch of kind of how things uh transcended over the last couple of years so it's like coming out of that is interesting to hear uh you know everyone's different perspectives yeah. and, and experiences on it um so what are the big initiatives for you guys what's uh, on the horizon content marketing Okay. Yeah, that's the fun stuff. Um, yes. and yeah, that's the fun stuff. I guess um, the social media presence, right? That's, that's the social on the media horizon. <laughs> the horizon. Yeah, I, I think I felt for a long time. And again, it might be, you know, just arrogance or hubris or fear, who knows, but I'm like, well, work for, speaks for itself. We have plenty of great um, uh, portfolio examples that we can share case studies, we have references, and we know our stuff. Right. <laughs> but yeah, when the world kind of closes up and everybody's uh, gaze focuses in um, to their worlds a little bit, uh, you find out that, oh, well, yeah, if you're not out there in front of a certain number of people all the time, yeah, well, you, the phone may not ring quite as much. Right. So, um, yeah, and no, I'm really excited to uh, I've started writing uh, more recently and uh, kind of getting that content marketing engine spun up. Are you sharing all those case studies and uh, testimonials on your social media? Uh, 
will be. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, there you go. You already have the content. It's just a matter of distributing that content, right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting the getting the machinery in place. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I find, you know, being a digital marketing agency, we find that that's like the first step is the hardest for clients. It's like, they probably have a bunch of content already sitting around, but it's that first step in getting that, um, that content out there, getting a content calendar going. Uh, so yep. it's like, that um absolutely but then yeah i would say besides written content i would say definitely recommend video that's a big uh, growing um medium as well yeah any um you know i'd thought about doing shorter stuff um on you know i'd mentioned earlier i was going i was uh interested while i was getting my computer science degree i was interested in some of the other you know philosophy psychology stuff and one of the things I've noticed on, say, Instagram, for example, is all sorts of video content from those sorts of professions that are just short and sweet kind of actionable tips or insights. And I, I can't say that I've seen that in our space in the same way. Um, and or at least it doesn't seem quite as common um, I'm just curious, you know, what's your experience been like there and um, seeing that resonate with people? Yeah, and we were talking about attention spans before we started recording this. Um, so typical rule of thumb for like LinkedIn is, well, the way I would look into video or any content is like a funnel, right? So mm -hmm. um, how much time would a person who doesn't know you or your brand spend on your content? I would mm -hmm. say 90 seconds, maybe. Um, and then, and if they want to get to know you, then they would probably be likely to more spend more time, right? Maybe mm -hmm. five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe a webinar, right? So like, it's a, it's a get to know you progression, right? So typically what I say, actually, I actually even created a video about videos <laughs> <laughs> and what is that? Cause I get that question asked a lot, right? Like what it. is it? What, what is your recommendation for a uh, length of a video? And usually it's 90 seconds as the yeah. top of the funnel, right? And then sure, once sure. You, they get to know you, then they're more likely to watch. And if they like you, they're more likely to watch much longer content. Uh, sure, uh, yeah. So that's, I would say, if you are thinking about creating, con you know, if you're thinking about creating content, which sounds like you are, I would keep them short. Um, and then, yeah, there are always opportunities for longer video down the line. Brevity is not my strong suit, but I get that uh, advice a lot. That uh, is- So I think I'll-, I'll uh, I'll work on it. <laughs> yes. Um, chunking things down. That's how I like to say it. Make them make a problem or a, a topic into very small different pieces. And then you have a bunch more content, right? So you can talk Absolutely. about a bigger, bigger topic, chunk it down, and then you have tons of content to create for 90 seconds each. Um, last question before we wrap sure. it up is, um, what is your prediction for the future? And it's a very loaded question, which can mean <laughs> anything that this top of mind to you could be self-driving cars, terraforming Mars, <laughs> robotics, taking over our humanity, or it could be anything related to specifically your industry, you know, maybe sure. hiring more people, right? Or getting more sure. talent out there in, in your industry. <laughs> yeah, I hope, um, I hope, that the um, I really think that the the cultural shift around um, 
sorry, let me back up there for a second. I think my big prediction, and I think we're seeing it happening right now, is that um, organizations and employers of all sorts are going to be taking a hard look at culture and just, we're just going to see across the board uh, a lot of um, changes, right? And it's not just, oh, you got to pay people more, though that is important. I think that uh, on the heels of the pandemic and everybody's kind of self-reflection there, uh, people are, are looking to bring them, bring their whole selves to work and be able to contribute in deeper ways and get some kind of, uh, you know, basic respect in the workplace that is a little bit, um, it's surprising how um, those are the exceptions, you know, in the digital marketing world or the software world that we're in, you know, we've, we've had it pretty good and it's gonna get better. Um, but I think we'll see that spreading uh, through other industries too that are a little bit more behind on the the culture, uh, <laughs> let's say angle. <laughs> sure, I totally agree. It's you know there's a lot of antiquated um, companies out there and industries, right? And that's just how they are. Like n n no like judgment there, but but uh, yeah, from a cultural perspective, they all had tended to be in in house, you know in. Um, in offices and so that definitely created the culture which of course is very mm -hmm. positive but at the same time now that everyone wants to work remotely and everybody mm -hmm. doesn't want to come into the office and I don't know I was actually just reading on LinkedIn that like um, Apple is now trying to return everyone to the office at least three days a week and like the Apple employees created some sort of like union or like some sort of like sure. Reddit group or like a Discord group where they're like protesting all of it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so, I'm sure. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's going to probably be a little bit more challenging for those more of the older industries that are, that had a very long culture of being in the office, uh, which, you know, created a good culture, but at the same time, like, how do you make that into a hybrid? How do you make that into um, something that works and still keeps that culture going, right? Um, so that absolutely, I think is a is a sixty four billion dollar question, or maybe sixty four billion dollar <laughs> question. I don't know. <laughs> I think at this point, um, awesome. Well, thanks so much. This was great. Uh, really good conversation. Last question. I guess that last question wasn't the last question. This <laughs> is the last question. Is that how can our audiences get in touch with you and your company? Yeah. So again, the company is Enliven, and we're at EnlivenHQ.com. And of course, you're going to be working on that awesome LinkedIn profile and creating a ton of content, and they eventually <laughs> should be finding you there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, several thousand word articles are coming your way on LinkedIn. Yes. <laughs> no, I'll keep it short. I'll keep, keep it short. It, keep it short. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ian. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Gene.